Hi, my name is Vicky Huang. Hi, my name is Ang Lee. Welcome to our podcast, Lost Slurp, where two working journalists talk about everything from China, Korean dramas, and Asian food to working in journalism. I hope you enjoy our weekly chit chat. Please hit that subscribe button if you want to stay in touch. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode seven of the Lost Slurp podcast. This is your host Ang. Hi everyone. This is your co-host Vicky. Today we have a fascinating guest, Owen Guo, who has spent seven years covering China as a journalist for the New York Times and the Financial Times before leaving for graduate school in Canada. We're so glad to have him here on the podcast to share some of the most memorable stories he's covered within China and the ups and downs of working for foreign media in China. Owen, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Before we dive in, let's revisit the best food we've had over the past two weeks. So, Owen, what was the most delicious food you cooked or ate recently? I like, for example, today I just cooked scrambled eggs,、um, and I had some beef and chicken. So, like, I DIY a lot. I don't have a recipe that I follow strictly,、um, and I do try to eat healthy every single day. And The way that I indulge myself is, is you know, because I eat healthy. Sometimes I indulge myself with a little bit junk food.、Um, so yeah, I had some had spinach,、uh, beef, chicken,、uh, scrambled eggs with some rice. So very typical Chinese、uh, lunch for me. That sounds delicious. Like I really miss the scrambled eggs with rice.、Uh, that dish I haven't cooked it in a while. So,、um, so that's my inspiration for my next week's meal. What about you, Vicky?、Uh, what have you been cooking up in your kitchen recently? Well, I'm very sorry to say this that I kind of slacked off over the past two weeks、um, because I've just been so busy with、uh, work for the past week and. Before that, so I've been mostly ordering takeout and delivery food, <laughs> but I really loved、uh, this restaurant near me that sells Chinese ramen, handmade Chinese ramen, and one of my favorite dishes for the past two weeks is called the Sichuanese Chili Volcano Ramen. It's so delicious and spicy, and the noodles are handmade by the chef in the restaurant. So the texture is so chewy, and、um, it was just amazing. And I really love the chili oil. I think it's also homemade by the chef in that restaurant. So the flavor was just、um, insanely good.、Uh, so that's my best dish、uh, for the past two weeks. What about you, Ang? Oh, that sounds really, really delicious. Uh, I actually recently, you know, I've been spending a lot of time at home, and I started realizing how much food waste we generate、uh, just on a daily basis. So I actually have been trying to just, you know, make the most use out of leftovers、uh, and food that was going to go bad. One day, I ordered ox bone soup. From this local restaurant、uh, that I used to go to a lot before we、uh, all went into lockdown, and it just has the best solo time I've ever had.、Uh, so I ordered that. There was just a lot. They give you a lot of、uh, the soup, and it's a milky beef bone soup. So I used that the next day. You know, add like some chicken ramen hot sauce and cracked an egg. 
uh, and made, you know, the Solongtang ramen. It was actually the best ramen I've had it in a while. So I was really, really glad that I could be like a little bit more innovative and like creative and came up with a new recipe. Uh, so that's the best dish I've had in recent weeks. Quick question for you guys, because I'm in Toronto. You guys are in New York. Um, are you do, you do you mostly get your cooking ingredients from, I don't know, from Chinatown or are they readily available in most supermarkets? That's a really good question. Uh, so for me, I mostly just order online from H-Mart. Uh, it is a Korean grocery store. So they have like multiple locations across the city. So that's kind of how I get my ingredients. And same here. I also get my groceries from H-Mart. Um, it not only covers Korean uh, groceries, but also Chinese ingredients and sauces and all that stuff that's usually pretty hard to find. So yeah, I also get my groceries there. What about you, Owen? I actually go to Chinatown a lot uh, with a mask. Great for <laughs> <That's> you. <good. laughs> Seems like everyone has had very delicious food for the past two weeks. Um, so let's get right into it. Owen, can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Thank you, Vicky, on again for having me on the podcast. I I'm an avid podcast listener, but but I've never been interviewed on a podcast before, so I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, my name is Owen Guo. I uh, recently graduated from the University of Toronto with a master's degree in in global affairs. So I so I moved here from China about about two years ago from uh, for graduate school, and before this master's degree, I. I worked in journalism for about seven years in China. My last job was with uh, the New York Times in Beijing, where I was a researcher and uh, writer. Um, so now that I've graduated, uh, and now that the, the, there's been a hiring freeze in Canada, I, I guess I'll just keep applying for jobs. Um, I, I don't really plan to go back to journalism. And we talked a little bit about this before the show started. Uh, but like I said, you don't really have to be in journalism if you want to write. Um, I'm pretty sure that I'll still be writing on the site. Um, so basically now I'm hoping to sort of like turn a new page in life and, and try to figure out uh, what to do uh, next in, in Canada. I totally agree with you. And I don't think that one needs to be in journalism, in the journalism industry to practice journalism. Uh, just like our podcast, you know, we use like interview skills we learned at J school. Uh, but, you know, like it's a it's a, still a good practice. Uh, kind of curious, like, how did you get into journalism, Owen? Huh. How how did I get into journalism? Um, it's, it's sort of a long story, but I'll, I'll keep it short. So I consider myself to be a very curious person. I like to travel. I am a people person. I really like storytelling. And I actually realized it when when I was doing my bachelor's degree, uh, I had a, I have a bachelor's degree in, in tourism management. I grew up in in a province called Jiangxi, which is north of Guangdong, about five hours by train from Shanghai. So I, I did my bachelor's degree there. Um, so I, I worked briefly as a tour guide, and and if you think about it, being a tour guide is very similar to a storyteller, right? And and at the time. My guests, most of them were from uh, North America or Southeast Asia. So I had to come up with creative ways to tell them stories about Chinese history and Chinese culture. And I really, I really liked it. Um, and then at some point, it really hit me that 
because uh, back back in the days, people would say that 吃所谓吃青春饭 it's it's like if you get old, then no one wants to hire you as a tour guide. So so I actually thought about you know maybe I could have a bigger platform to tell China stories because China is so big and there's so so many stories to tell. So that that was the point when I decided to go go to graduate school, and at the time. I thought my writing was really weak, so I didn't apply to J school.、Um, so I instead I chose、uh, communication. So I, I did my first master's in Shanghai, and after I was I, I finished my master's degree, I I moved to Beijing to pursue journalism. And and looking back, I I think it was a great experience because. I do think that journalism is one of the few professions that that really pays you to learn new things every day. I literally met people from all walks of life. For example, one day I might be tracking a countryside road, talking to a farmer. The next day, I would be at a ministry, talking to、uh, a policymaker, trying to make sense of a piece of legislation. Even though you know that doesn't happen a lot.、Uh, my point. Is that you know there? There's no other profession like journalism, and and I had a great time, and I didn't regret it a bit. Wow, that is a fascinating and just like great story. Definitely,、Thanks. yeah, I I totally agree. And some of the characteristics you mentioned, such as curiosity and love of storytelling, that's definitely like the innate、um, characteristics of a lot of great journalists. So、um, I was really curious about. I know that all three of us are born born raised in China, but、um, I myself have never worked in China、uh, in journalism specifically. So I'm just really curious to hear from you about what it's like to work for the New York Times and Financial Times in China. It、um, like overall, it was incredibly rewarding. Um, a lot of my colleagues were really, really masterful storytellers, so I definitely learned a lot from them in terms of reporting and writing.、Um, I want to talk a little bit about about the differences between these two publications,、uh, and when people think about the New York Times and the Financial Times, and of course there are international papers with with circulation, you know, in every continent.、Um, I it, it's funny like when I was at the Financial Times. It was a paper that was produced by, you know, primarily business people. So the writing there, the writing there was more succinct. And even though the Financial Times does a lot of like in-depth stories, most of the stories are actually a lot shorter if you compare them to the New York Times. So I always tell people like. You know, storytelling at Financial Times is sort of like this. Here is what you need to know, and the journalist would give you the facts, right,、um, straight to the point. Whereas the New York Times, you know, sometimes when you read a New York Times story, you're like reading a novel, right? So the New York Times would be here are the facts that you need to know, but let me tell you a story first. So I've learned. You know the two very different types of writing, and and I think those are really important because depending on the situation, you might want to you know use either one of them.、Um, so when it comes to like a typical day at、uh, those two publications, I would say mostly it involved you know monitoring of government websites for major policy announcements. Uh, we would scan Chinese media coverage just to sort of stay up to date with the hottest topic of the day. 
Um, and then there will be a lot of translation, a lot of background research. Um, so overall, it, it was a really great experience. Like I said, I've learned a lot and I've grown a lot as a writer myself. But at the same time, I have to say it's, you know, it was also a little bit frustrating because by law, if you are a Chinese national, you're not allowed to be hired as as a full-fledged journalist for foreign publications. So on the paper, you know, uh, our titles, you know, our researchers, news assistants, fixers, however you want to call, call it. Um, so technically, we're not allowed to write stories ourselves. Uh, but when I was at the New York Times, I was able to, to write stories under my byline. Uh, so it, it's kind of hard. It was sort of like a gray area in journalism in China. And the New York Times, you know, of course, doesn't self-censor itself. But but as a Chinese person, I well, if, if I do decide to write a story, I would try to stay away from stories that are too uh, politically sensitive. Um, and I have to say that, you know, uh, obviously human rights violations and other things, you know, those stories are really important to cover. But but I also think that China is, is just more than that. Right. Um, and there there's a lot more variety of stories that you could write. I think it is the same, right, for uh, Chinese nationals who work overseas as well, because most of our family members, they're still back in China. So it's like if you write about certain things, uh, you want to be cautious in terms of or sensitive about what you write and the way you approach it. Because Correct. you don't want your yep. family members to be kind of like have to deal with the consequences of your practice of journalism as well. True. Um, yeah, so I wonder if you if you don't mind, I would appreciate it if you could share some of your some of the most memorable stories that you've worked on. There, there's so many, but maybe I'll share uh, one of the the last stories that that I wrote. Uh, it was actually a very funny story. Like I mentioned, that you know, on a typical day, we of course we would see what the Chinese press. Is, is covering and we get story ideas from, from other people. And uh, when we try to do the same story, we would try to come up with a new angle, right? And what I really like about journalism is that sometimes my ideas actually came from dinner table conversations or a random like, you know, encounter with, with strangers. So, and this would be one of the examples. I, when I was in China, I was, uh, really active on couch surfing. Um, so I hosted some travelers from, from all over. And I remember I hosted this couple who stayed with me for a few days in, in my home in Beijing. Uh, they're from Europe. And one day we found ourselves in a supermarket near my home. And the guy goes, where, where can I find some deodorant? And at the time, I, I didn't know what deodorant was because I've never used it myself, uh, nor have any Chinese friends of mine. And I thought he was looking for detergent. So I, I pointed him to a, a, you know, a direction where he could find detergent and he was confused. And he had to explain to me what, what a deodorant was. And I was like, huh, Ashley, most Chinese supermarkets don't sell deodorant. You'll be able to find you know, some deodorant um, at a really upscale like you know supermarket so it really got me thinking you know because i i knew at the time that international brands like unilever nivea they've been trying to sell deodorant in china for for about 10 years 
and you know uh, their their efforts basically fell flat in 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 China because their brands haven't really cracked the Chinese market. And so basically, this you know I I looked at how foreign brands have tried and and failed to deodorize the Chinese armpits.、Um, And of course, there is a reason why their attempts haven't been successful. Because genetically speaking,、uh, East Asians just they don't have a type of gene、uh, that would make them prone to like body odor issues, like like a lot of you know non-East Asians people do. And also, I looked at some other products that are wildly popular. In the West, that haven't been quite successful in China. For example, like dryers. You know, most Chinese households don't use dryers,、um, and breakfast cereal、uh, because Chinese people don't like cold breakfast. So there's a lot of cultural factors and biological factors that would be able to explain why some Western brands haven't done so well in China. And I thought that was that was、uh, a really interesting story. And I really, really loved the headline my editor came up with. Aiming at China's armpits when foreign brands misfire, loved it. <laughs> I love that. That's genius.、Um, and I just want to say that story just proves like what a natural journalist you are. Because I think for people who are not curious enough, like they probably won't go, you know, that step further to be like, why isn't this popular? Why isn't deodorant popular in China? Right. So, just really admire your curiosity there in the story. It is a fascinating story. Yeah, thanks.、Uh, I, I do think that if you want to be a journalist, curiosity is re- is really really important. Yes, totally. And、um, I just love how you said that deodorize the Chinese armpits. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And and it's also it just makes so much sense because I remember when、I、first came to the U.S. for college.、Um, So many of my friends, American friends, were like, "Why don't you use deodorant?" And I even felt a little bit ashamed to tell them that I never used deodorant in my life. So that's definitely such a fascinating article. What are some of the hardest stories you've covered? You know, the type of stories that send chills down your spine, or were just so hard to get, or so hard to put to paper and、um, get it out there. I would say China in general is a difficult story, primarily because of the access issue. And what I mean by that is sometimes it's really hard to gauge what the general public thinks about an issue. I'll give you an example. There was this one time we were doing a story about air pollution in China and its impact on on、um, education, how how it in, impacts student lives in in Beijing. I was like,、uh, we're working on this. Non-sensitive story, and the reason why I say that is because back then, you know, air pollution was a big story that was covered、uh, by a lot of Chinese media outlets. And at the time, the Chinese leadership actually promised to tackle this this problem head-on. So it wasn't like a political sensitive story. And the response from the mother actually surprised me. She basically said that I have a lot of respect for the New York Times; it's a great paper, but I can't talk to you because it's blocked. In China, so that just goes to show you how difficult it is to to just get access to ordinary people in 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 China. 
And sometimes the local officials will go to great lengths to try to kill your story. And I mean, this this would be an extreme example. I've had one local official who came to me um, who basically resorted to a mix of threatening and, and bribery to convince me to kill the story. Um, and that, that really, really shocked me to the core. Um, so it's pretty challenging to, to get a full picture of, of what is going on in China sometimes, simply because sometimes people just don't want to talk to you. Yeah, and I read the article where you recounted that experience. I have to say, uh, I was shocked. Uh, I mean, it, it seems like it would make sense in China, right? This kind of phenomenon, uh, this kind of uh, incident. But at the same time, I was really shocked at the great length they went to just in order to bribe you into kill the story or threaten you to kill the story. I wonder if you could maybe share with our listeners uh, the reason you decide to leave China and, you know, go to Toronto to pursue a master degree of global affairs. I'm really passionate about journalism, but I know it would be a matter of time before I leave the industry. And the reason why I say that is because of that law saying that as as Chinese nationals, uh, there is no way that you, you could be hired as a full-fledged journalist for foreign publications. So because of my Chinese nationality, there is this hurdle that I will never be able to overcome. That's one of the reasons why I left China. And for me personally, having been in journalism for so long, you know, um, being able to express myself freely is really important for me. So that's one of the reasons why I decided to leave China, you know, in hopes of, you know, putting down my roots somewhere new and democratic where I can fully express myself because I, I do think um, uh, press freedom and, and, you know, free speech are really important rights that an in- individual, you know, has. And I don't think I'll be able to have those rights in China. Yeah, I really resonate with what you said, even though I've never worked in journalism in China. And I feel like because of the difficulties and obstacles faced by Chinese citizens to practice journalism in China, it can almost be argued that um, a Chinese journalist almost has to work that much harder um, in order to overcome all these obstacles to practice journalism. So I was wondering, what do you think are your biggest lessons or takeaways from your seven-year journalism career in China? Obviously, I've learned a lot from my seven-year journalism experience. Um, Let me say something about the state of the world we're in today. I feel like we're living in a very divided time when people are constantly talking past each other. You've seen that down south in the States. You've seen that in China um, when it comes to China's relationship with the West. I think that is the root root cause of so many problems we're facing today, right? Um, And I think journalism really taught me to give the other side a chance to explain themselves. Uh, Because you two are journalists. You know this very well. What kind of whatever story you're doing, you always give the other side a chance to respond. Um, and I think people always say, "I'm." It's it's an overused word today that 
people always say I'm open-minded, you know, uh, but I think I haven't seen a lot of real open-minded people, right? What I really want to happen in this world, and I think probably it's, it's a little bit fantasy that I'll never be able to see that happen one day, is when a Bernie Sanders fan is able to sit down and have a conversation with a Trump supporter. You know, open-mindedness is when uh, a Hong Kong protester is able to engage with uh, a person who is sympathetic uh, of Beijing's stance, right? Um, so I, I think I've learned that really from journalism because say, if you're working on a corruption story, you still want to give the corrupt official a chance to respond. Um, and I think that that has really taught me to be able to take in different perspectives and, and, and not to see everything, you know, uh, in, in a very narrow sense. Um, and my second biggest lesson I would say is that, that I'll keep writing. I know it's a weird thing to say that. Uh, so let me explain this a little bit. Before I moved to Canada, I had this conversation, long conversation with a friend who did her PhD in New York. Uh, she's from China. Uh, she used to work for, you know, uh, foreign news organizations. She told me that, 不要, 不要用你的短处和人家的长处拼, which roughly translates as, don't compete with others in areas you're not good at. So basically what she was telling me at the time was, English is not your first language. You know, you don't really want to compete with native speakers uh, when it comes to writing because, you know, you're writing in a second language. And at the time, I believed it. I, I really believed it because I still believe that writing in a second language is hard. But two years after I came to Canada, I've had a, a new perspective. And because I've seen in my cohort that just because your English is your first language doesn't mean that you're a good writer in English. And we've also seen examples around us there is Jia Yangfan of the New Yorker. There is Li Yuan of the New York Times, both of whom are of Chinese descent. And their writings are superb, right? So that's another lesson that I've learned from working for foreign press. I'm Chinese. I was born and raised in China. But with dedication and hard work, I can write, you know, as well as a native speaker, if not better. And that's something that I do intend to keep doing uh, in the future. Thank you so much, Owen. That is very inspirational um, because just my, based on my experience, uh, I've been told that the reason I didn't get a writing job was because English was my second language. And I just disagree with that because I think you can be a really great writer even though you're not writing in your native language. So that is really like the message I need. And I feel so encouraged by that. Uh, so thank you so much. Um, I'm curious, what is your outlook for Chinese journalists working in China? Because I'm actually really interested in covering China in the future. Can I, can I throw it back? Yeah. Can I throw the question back at you guys? Would sure you ever thing. consider going back to China to pursue journalism? I think yes. I would say yes. Um, but my concern, you know, I actually have been talking to my family about this because fortunately I have a green card, so I don't have issue 
getting a visa, you know, like to work for a news outlet in the United States. Um, so I've been really fortunate enough to have that in my back pocket. But the thing is, if I wanted to go back to China to work for a foreign outlet, as you said, there's a Chinese law um, and Chinese nationals cannot be hired as a full-fledged reporter. So I think that is most like my concern, right? Because I don't want to go back to China to not be able to like report. Um, so I've been talking to my family actually a lot about like maybe getting a US citizenship. They are not really in support of that um, because they want me to go back to China as a Chinese national. And they're worried if I actually ever cross the boundaries and cover something very sensitive that I would be locked out of China. I, I, I totally understand where you're coming from because, you know, uh, I think my parents share the same, same sentiment. Uh, but also another thing that you have to consider is that let's say you became a U.S. citizen one day, like, you know, the worst thing that can happen to foreign correspondents is that they will, they will be kicked out of China, right? And you still have your family back, back home. So that's, that's another complication you really have to consider. I think you're totally right. And as we talked about earlier, you know, our family members or most of our family members are still in China. So a lot of times, even when you're working as a foreign correspondent for a foreign news outlet, they are still, you know, they could still face the consequences of your reporting as well. Yeah, to, to answer your question, uh, it doesn't look good. Uh, I mean, investigative journalism still exists in China, uh, but I think since 2012, the room for investigative journalism has shrunk a lot. So I don't know how to answer that question better other than saying it just doesn't look good. Yeah, that's very sad to hear. And um, just um, going back to earlier, your questions, I think uh, I'm sort of uh, in the same boat as you. And when it comes to going back to China to practice journalism, um, obviously it's a huge country and has so many great stories waiting to be told, but there are just so many obstacles for people of Chinese nationality to practice journalism freely there. So I just don't see it happening in the near term. And as you mentioned, that investigative journalism, which is uh, an area I would really love to focus in some, someday, um, is also sort of uh, fading away in China. So um, that's obviously very sad. But I think what's even sadder for me is that uh, I've been reading a lot in the news that, you know, Chinese researchers and news assistants, such as the roles that you held um, back when you were with the New York Times and Financial Times, uh, it seems like their roles are being restricted more and more by the government as well. I'm interested to get your thoughts, um, you know, how do you think this latest set of restrictions will affect foreign media's coverage of China? It will, without a question, make news operation a lot more difficult uh, in China because I would argue that people like us, people who speak Chinese uh, and who are able to communicate in English, they're, they're basically, um, they serve as ears and eyes for a lot of foreign correspondents on the ground. Some foreign correspondents speak Chinese and are able to conduct interviews in Chinese, you know, without any help from the Chinese staff. But 
there there's not a lot of them. So Chinese staff is really really important to the operation of foreign bureaus in China. So yeah, like overall, I think the reason why you know there has been more restriction on the Chinese staff working for foreign press is because the Chinese government is trying to push. Out some foreign correspondents. So,、um, in the process, some Chinese, you know, nationals have become, you know,、um, victims of that.、Uh, so, yeah, I, I think it will will severely restrict, you know, how foreign、um, media covers China because a lot of Chinese staff they do a lot of research, they do a lot of translation. So, without these people. Uh, it would be really hard for foreign bureaus to operate out 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 of Beijing or Shanghai or any other major city in China. Owen, thank you so much for your time and for such a fascinating and insightful conversation. Really appreciate you joining us. Yes, thank you so much, Owen, for taking your time.、Uh, this is a really fascinating conversation, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Would you share with our listeners、uh, where they can find you and keep up with your writings and ideas? Thank you for having me again.、Um, I am on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at bj. That's for Beijing. Bj underscore southerner because I'm from southern China. So again, it's bj underscore southerner. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. We'll see you at the next episode.